Let's pray. After that, we're going to do a give, a give away a discipleship certificate, and I don't know, maybe one or two other things, and get in the book of Revelation together. So just bump elbows with your neighbor, if you would. Father, I thank you today. Lord, we can come before you. Um, such, a, such a dynamic summer with everything coming back. And praise the Lord, people coming back into church, people showing up. Uh, God, we want to take advantage of the openness that people have and the desire they have to get together. And Lord, why can't we just get together with the gospel? How, 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 why don't we get them together with us for the gospel and uh, take Fourth of July to do that and a picnic to do that and all the other things we have going on. So Father, we, we come to you today. I thank you for the praise team that has taught us to worship by being up on the platform and leading us in this way. I thank you that we can come to you now and pray that your Holy Spirit will speak through your word and know that that is exactly what you want to do, to speak into our hearts what you would have us to do. For we ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated in the Lord's presence. And I think, I think that, so, okay, so we've got a mission and a commission. And that is to make disciples, and really that's the central thing. Now, of course, in order to make disciples, you've got to win people to Christ, you know, and they ought to get baptized, become part of a, a local church. But with discipleship, Bible kind of lays out four basic biblical goals. We want to get you established in the wor worship of God. We want to get you established in the Word of God. We want to get you established in fellowship of the body of believers, and we want to get you established in ministry with us. That's discipleship. To do that, we use 16 very basic fundamental concepts, 16 lessons, and we'll pair you up one-on-one -on -one with someone to take you through that, take you, take you through the Bible one-on-one -on, -one on those 16 basic fundamental things. And that is so important that when that gets done, we like to make, you know, we like to make a show of that in our services, and uh, maybe it's been... Did we have, what was it, Father's Day, that we had one that I forgot about, and Dave was down here waiting on me to announce it, but I'm ready today, and so Shay, where's Shay at? Shay Honker and, and Lindsay Whiteley come up here to the front. So Lindsay, we have a certificate of completion for you and a gift card to Mardell so you can get something to keep your growth going. <laughs> so love you. Praise the Lord. God bless you. Shay, thank you for taking us here. Now, if you have your Bible, you turn to the book of Revelation, chapter 20, 20th chapter of the last book in the Bible. Have you ever had an adversary that you wish you could get off your back? I mean, if they're sitting next to you, just keep looking straight up here. Just, just look straight at me. They will never know that you were thinking about them. But uh, how many times have we as a nation felt like, you know, if we could just defeat the Soviet Union, then it will be paradise. You know, if we could just defeat the Taliban, then it would be paradise. Well, let me talk to you about paradise for a second, because in the first dispensation of Earth's history after the loss of paradise, so Genesis chapter 3 through chapter 9, God started off this way. He gave humanity exactly what they wanted. I mean, we rejected him. He said, look, my spirit is no, no longer going to strive with you. 
God completely took his hands off the wheel. He took his hands off the wheel, and so what had happened was the human race would have gone extinct, just like the dinosaurs, just like the woolly mammoths. It wouldn't have been climate change. It, it would have been all the corruption in the human heart. He took his hands off the wheel. It would have gone extinct. So God stepped in with Noah and his family. He sent a flood. He pressed reset and started over. But now we are getting ready in this book of Revelation to begin the last dispensation of earth's history. And this time, God is not going to remove himself. We're going to watch him remove Satan himself. So when Jesus returns at the second coming, which is what we ended with last time in chapter 19, an amazing transformation of this planet takes place. So let me take you to our text, Revelation chapter 20, because I want to start off by laying out four ways that we get to the golden age. Anybody want to hear this? Just say, forget Nostradamus, Alan. I'll even take Silence's consent because there are four factors in the rule and the reign of Jesus Christ in the millennium. First off, notice, if you will, how Satan must give way to the Savior. Number one, by his forceful restraint. The forceful restraint of the devil. Six times in Revelation chapter 20, you can circle, you can highlight, or you can underline the words thousand years. A thousand years is what we call a millennium. Look at verse 1. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil, and Satan. And bound him a thousand years, and cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal upon him. Why? Why did he do that? So that he should, should deceive the nations no more, till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loose to season. See, that's what the devil does right now. He deceives. He lies. And you know what? We like to believe his lies because his lies exalt us. So we don't have any problem mostly being deceived by the devil. And he uses three lusts against us, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. But now finally, the adversary is removed all of our problems and all of our issues, they're really due to our adversary, not to us, right? I mean, we are good people. I mean, everybody is good at heart, and, and we're all born innocent, and it's just our environment or our upbringing or our history or our past that hinders us. Or is it? Well, let's see, because the second factor, ushering in a golden age, and this is number two, is the future rule of the Savior. Verse 4. <coughs> and I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. Now, this is talking about during the tribulation, they did not receive the mark of the Antichrist, and they lived and reigned with Christ, a thousand years. 
Now, if you missed us back in Revelation 13, which you can go back and you can watch online, everyone who survives the Antichrist system has to take his mark. And because they take his mark, they end up believing his lie. And because they believe his lie, they worship him as God. But a remnant of Israel and of tribulation saints refuse to do that. And those who endure to the end of the tribulation or the end of their life during the tribulation without taking the mark of the beast, they are saved. Those, so those who die of starvation because they wouldn't take the mark of the beast or those who are caught and beheaded, they are raised to enter this new millennium. Verse 6. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection, on such the second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years. This is the utopia that the world has always wanted. Remember in the first dispensation, after the fall, God removed himself and it all crashed. We pass through a series of other dispensations described in the Bible. Human government after the flood, divine promise beginning with Abraham, uh, the system of law inaugurated by Moses. And now we are living in the dispensation of the grace of God, where your faith in the finished work of Christ forgives you, saves you, and gives you eternal life. But you know what? We have a mandate also, just like each one of those other stewards in those other dispensations. We are given a commission also. And we are to go to the same nations that they were with a message called the gospel and to make disciples. But because we let, we allow Satan to deceive us and we allow other things to take priority over us, we fail. And, and I'm speaking of Christianity, evangelical Christianity as a whole. Okay, so the, the majority of those who actually preach you need to be born again, the majority of those fail. And, and so the church is removed at the rapture. And when God removes us, the Antichrist steps in. And when Jesus returns with us, God is present at that point, in the most material way. So he goes from removing himself entirely, including the Holy Spirit's work at the beginning of human history, he goes from that to actually removing the devil at the end of human history. The world will be at peace. The wolf will dwell with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. And snakes will all become earthworms, and a little child shall lead them. Now, how does that work out for us? You know, radiation is removed. DNA is fixed by the tree of life. And so human lifespans explode exponentially. And today, you know, we really celebrate people that make it to 100 years of age. And, and some people do, and they're 100 years old. And we celebrate that. And Isaiah says, in the millennium, people who die at 100 are going to be considered babies. They're just kids because... With all of this, you can live, I mean, nearly throughout the entire millennium. So it is a perfect environment. Israel rules over the nations. Surely we have solved the problem of sin and proven that the fault was not ours. It was not human nature after all. 
But the third factor in the golden age is this. Number three, a final revolt of sinners. Maybe we didn't prove anything. Very good. Verse seven. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations, which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And you know, I don't care what you say, a thousand years is enough time to get over it. I mean, a thousand years is enough time for you to recover. A thousand years is 33 generations of perfect heredity and perfect environment. And yet still in the end, the devil's going to be allowed to test human progress. And we will find out we were not really progressives at all. And this is our thesis for today's study. After the millennium, Satan will be allowed to pull out of people the rebellion they had been hiding inside all along. And, you know, we've seen this happen before at the first coming of Christ because the people who lauded and applauded Jesus, I mean, the same people who sang Hosanna and waved palm branches on Palm Sunday, they are the same ones who said, crucify him. Just a few days later. And in every dispensation, you're always saved by grace Through faith. So you're saved by God's grace through your faith. And you know, if there's no heart commitment, then you're not really saved. If if that exchange of life doesn't go on between you and God, giving up your old rotten life for the righteous, spotless life of Christ, you're not saved. And it doesn't matter ceremonies, sacraments, or rituals, doesn't matter what church you're a member of. You are not saved. And so this is our first point for study. Satan never forces you to do what is not already in you. He pulls out, he reveals the unredeemed nature already there. And you getting born again today, that is the only answer. So if you trust Jesus for eternal life, God will give you a new birth. But now one last time, Satan is let loose with the pent-up bitter vengeance of a thousand years. So in the final analysis, this is number four, there will be the definitive resolution to sin. Verse nine. And they, the rebels, led by the devil, went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the city of the saints about. They surrounded it. And the beloved city... and. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. So now life expectancy in obedience is nearly a thousand years. I mean, that's a long time. But while Satan must be loosed, the rebellion must not linger. Verse 10, so the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. You know, a couple of years ago, so, so you know, I, I'm, I always think, well, that was just last year. And then I think, no, I lost a year. The dumpster fire year, I lost a year. And it wasn't last year, it was like two years ago. We did a series we called the Why Series. And, we, you know, especially I had my youth and our college age people in mind. And so, you know, we asked, why, well, why Jesus in the first place? Another question we asked was, why hell? You know, what we discovered as we looked at the Bible together was that any sin against God 
is a violation of his infinite holiness. And you know, if you just stop and think about it, the only way to pay for an infinite sin is through an eternal punishment. And even then, God does not get out of you what he is owed by you. He only gets that through the infinite sacrifice of his son Jesus on the cross. So the origin story of hell, as Jesus gives it to us in the Gospel of Matthew, is that it was prepared for the devil and his angels. Hell was not prepared for people. Hell was unprepared. So look what happens in Isaiah 5. Verse 14 says, Therefore hell hath enlarged herself. Because she was unprepared, not being prepared for people. And opened her mouth without measure. And their glory and their multitude and their pomp and he that rejoiceth. So in context, those who rejoice in rebellion shall descend into it. Say, Alan, you know, that sounds really harsh. How do we square that? How do we square that with a loving God and, you know, wanting to see people get saved? Well, first John, or John, John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 9, tells us, you know, John is, is very clear, telling us Jesus is the light. In chapter 1, verse 9, he says Jesus is the light that lights every person who is born again. Doesn't matter who they are, doesn't matter where they are, doesn't matter what time in history. And yes, so sometimes we ask the question, well, what about the heathen who have not heard? Well, they all get enough light through Christ to personally respond to reject idolatry, to reject defective ancestry, and to move toward God until the point that God miraculously gets them the gospel. You know, what you discover is everyone goes to hell who rejects John 3.16. And they go to hell when they reject John 3.16 because there is a verse 18. Look on your handout at John chapter 3, verse 18. He that believeth on Christ, on Jesus, on the Son of God, is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So that means God is not unjust, because this is our second point for study. People only go to hell by choice. No one goes to hell by chance. No one ends up in hell by chance. I mean, Abraham asked the question when he was discussing with God the future fate of Sodom and Gomorrah. He asked the question, said, shall not the God of all the earth do right? And it's a rhetorical question because the, the answer is always yes. Why, yes, he will. No one slips through the cracks. No one goes there who doesn't deserve it. As a matter of fact, let me phrase it this way, more biblical. No one goes there who doesn't choose it because they choose to reject what God has provided. So what happens to all those who die refusing God's offer of salvation by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus. They get what they wanted all along, to do it themselves, to be tried on their own merits so that they would not have to submit and serve under God's rule. So this is when God evens the score. 
This is when everything's made right regardless. First, letter A, the judge describes a fearful setting. Look at it in verse 11. And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. Second, letter B, the judge delivers a forceful summons in verse 12, and I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. So every unbeliever is resurrected in their unsaved, unglorified state, The book of life is opened, also called the Lamb's book of life, because when you trust Jesus for eternal life, Jesus writes your name in his book. I mean, that's the book he's keeping. He knows who's received him and who is not. He knows who has submitted to him. He knows who has called on him as Lord and and who is not. And he puts your name in, in that book, and that book is opened, So in in the case of these individuals, it is open to prove that their name was not written in there because they never accepted Jesus, who is the only way, truth, and life. I mean, that's one thing that Christianity has going for it. Here's how you know Christianity is real compared to anything else. We are the only one who makes this truth claim. And I suppose for those of you who might say, but all religions lead to the same place, Well, strictly speaking, that's true. All religions do lead to the same place. But Bible Christianity leads you out of that place to a better place where you need to go. So, you know, every other religion teaches you how to work your way to God or work your way, in the case of the atheist religion, Buddhism, teaches you how to work your way to nothingness. I mean, what kind of a good deal is that? How to work your way to nothingness. And uh, only Bible Christianity teaches you how God has worked his way to you. So, the book is opened to prove their name is not there. Then the books, plural, are opened because those books record their works. And God's righteous judgment, his justice, determines the level of judgment for them for eternity. So, at the rapture. Paul says, in a, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the soul of a person who is born again merges with a glorified, incorruptible, immortal body. So those of us who are alive at, at, at the rapture, those of us who live until Christ comes back to take his bride off this planet, we, our soul merges into a new body. So because we are in this dispensation, the sons of God, not Israel, not Gentiles, everything comes together in one in the body of Christ, we get a glorified body just like the Son of God has. I mean, until then, your body is a tent your soul dwells in. But if you get saved, when you get saved, your tent becomes a temple because the Holy Spirit resides there. And all I'm going to say is that wherever he resides, he should preside. You know what I'm saying? So you will either merge, because you lived until the rapture, or if you died beforehand, you will emerge, 
Because if you die before the rapture, then your soul, which went to be with Jesus, comes back with Jesus, and your dead body is raised incorruptible and glorified. So my point is this. Everyone gets a body suited for their location in eternity. And in the end, unbelievers receive a body suited for their location. You can see it, Isaiah 66, verse 24. And they shall go forth and look upon the carcasses of the men that have transgressed against me, for their worm shall not die, neither shall their fire be quenched, and they shall be an abhorring unto all flesh. So these, these are truths for our end time, and these are truths that must motivate you to get saved, to get discipled, to join us Saturday morning starting August 21st for 16 weeks in 16 chapters of 1 Corinthians because 1 Corinthians is the handbook on how you should be doing ministry with us. So for all those believers who are not interested in those things, and you don't care about those things, you are the ones who contribute to why the church fails in this dispensation, why we are not grasping and seizing the day and doing everything we should be doing to reach the lost. And that is simply God's honest truth for our end times, because here, let her see, the judge displays Certain fatal secrets in verse 13, and the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. Your good works do not determine if you go to heaven. I mean, they can't because you can't be saved by good works. Your works simply determine, relatively speaking, where you land in hell. And only the Lamb's book records that you have trusted Jesus for eternal life because once you do that, God imputes to you the righteousness of his own son, Jesus. So in this chapter, in our final analysis, letter D, the judge decrees a final sentence based upon that. Verse 14, I mean, how could you want it any other way? What would be more just than this? I mean, what would be more equitable and fair and I mean, what else can God do for you than this? So he decrees a final sentence, verse 14, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death, and whosoever was not found, written in the book of life, was cast into the lake of fire. So this great white throne judgment ends the last dispensation of human history. Now, you all know I'm a good news preacher, so I can't leave without giving you the good news. So, so chapter 21 brings us now into the eternal state. So let me become your spiritual realtor today. Can I become your spiritual realtor and give you a guided tour of heaven? Four statements here in the opening paragraph tell us God has a definite purpose in mind for you and a different, definite place for you in heaven. First, and this is number one, because heaven is a place geographically. Heaven is a place, verse one. 
Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And did you know that just the Pacific Ocean is larger than all of the land mass on planet Earth? So you could take every continent and fit it into just the Pacific Ocean. So that the earth and the cosmos that you and I know today will be replaced with what it should have stayed before Lucifer fell. God removes every remnant of sin, including that in creation. So the uncreated creator will uncreate what he created to recreate something new, savvy? <laughs> and you know, we got the moon here with the old earth, which is a, another one of those incredible coincidences that allow human life to, to live on planet earth, because as you can see from the moon, when you look at it through a telescope, it's obvious that the moon does duty and everything that would hit the planet Earth hits the moon because of the gravity and the way it orbits and it orbits just right to catch everything that would otherwise come to us. So, so we've been to the moon and we're trying to get to Mars and, and, and we have this space telescope that allows us to see not just galaxies but clusters of galaxies and not just clusters of galaxies but clusters of clusters of galaxies. So now we will have living space worthy of the kingdom of heaven. And God tells us enough about heaven, I think, to kind of kind of uh, create an appetite for heaven and a motivation to follow his word down here without giving us so information, so much information that we want to kill ourselves in order to get there. So, I mean, Paul went to heaven, but then he was swore to silence when he got back. So really, the most we know is what we see right here in Revelation 21. And yet, this is truth for our end times, because we have an infinite God now creating a universe with no flaws. And to see it or explain it would just be too much for us. So what he does is he shows us just the capital city, just the kingdom's headquarters. Watch verse 2. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. I know this sounds like sci-fi network, but you know, before you accuse me of being that like that, just think, every year, no, not last year, but this next year, every year, every New Year's Eve, a million people gather in Times Square and millions more watch on television to watch a ball drop. And here, a satellite city drops to take the place of the old moon in, in approximately the same dimensions. So when we die, we do go to heaven. But you know, during the millennium, we are dwelling in heaven, but the work is on planet Earth. So after the millennium, Heaven comes down because now the work is in the cosmos, which means, number two, heaven has a power governmentally. Verse three, and I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men and he will dwell with them 
And they shall be his people and God himself shall be with them and be their God and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain for the former things are passed away. There will be nothing ever again to cause sorrow. Today we have bad days. Today we have days with a lot of pain and many tears, but this day, verse 5 He that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I will make all things new. And he said unto me, because at this moment, John's mouth is open and his pen is dropped to the floor. So he had to say to me, Right, for these things are true and faithful. I mean, isn't it good that God told John, Pick up your pen and keep writing, and gave us this information? Because it should motivate you in his mission. Verse 6, and he, he said unto me, it is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I started it, I'll finish it. I'll be here in between. I, give, uh, I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. I mean, he does that now. He does that today. He offers you that today. The water of life. By getting saved. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. I mean, phenomenal cosmic fulfillment and spectacular living space. You will never either be tired or be bored. What about the lost? Verse 8, but the fearful. Isn't it interesting that he starts with that? Because usually... The, the unbelieving are unbelieving because they're fearful about getting saved. The fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers, well, we expected them there. And whoremongers and sorcerers, so we don't like them being there necessarily. And it's, that sounds harsh. And idol, idolaters and liars, well, we kind of fall in that camp, shall have their part in the lake, which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Fear of getting saved condemns you to this judgment just as much as being a murderer does. Why? Because you're not sent to hell for your sins. You are sent to hell because you rejected the Savior. You must be born again. And you know what? This is real. If you've got your Bible open and you're looking at it right now or on your electronic device, this is what is real. I know, you know, when you're young... Hey, you're bulletproof, and the only thing that is real to you is what is existential to you in the moment, and that's what's real. And then you go on a few years, and you think, man, why did I do that back then? Because this is really bothering me right now. And, 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 but you know what? This, 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 uh, this is what is real. What is being said here is what is reality. So Jesus finished his work as payment for your sins. And you don't go to hell for your sins, but you go to hell if you reject that payment. And now we see sin quarantined for eternity, number three, so that heaven has a glory perpetually. And it is seen at four compass points, first letter A, from its source, verse nine. And there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials of the seven last plagues. So we saw that in previous chapters. And, and he talked with me saying, come hither, I will show thee the bride, 
the Lamb's wife, the church, the body of Christ. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. And her light was like unto a stone most precious, even like jasper stone, clear as crystal. Now, everyone is not in the capital because there is the church, but there's also the Jew and the Gentile. So not everybody's in the capital. And the capital is not everything there is, but this capital of the cosmos is cut like a diamond. And, and it's the place Jesus has been preparing for us since he ascended back to heaven. And it is full of glory. Secondly, let her be in its access. Verse 12, because it had a wall great and high and had 12 gates. And at the gates, 12 angels. So nobody's going to close those gates and you can get in. And names written thereon, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. On the east three gates, on the north three gates, at the south three gates, on the west three gates, temple in the Old Testament only had one gate. You had to come one way through the east gate. But now Jesus is the one way. This is his city. He's got three gates on every side. And the wall of the city, verse 14, had 12 foundations, and in them the names of the 12 apostles of the land. Gates for the 12 tribes and the Gentile nations that will enter with them. On the foundations of the 12 apostles, third, third, the third glory, let us see, is its size. Verse 15, and he that talked with me had a golden reed to measure the city and the gates thereof and the wall thereof. And the city lieth four square and the length is as large as the breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs. The length and the breadth and the height of it are equal because it's a cube. And this is just the capital city, 1,500 miles in length, 1,500 miles in depth, 1,500 miles in height. So finally, this is letter D, we see glory at its structure. Every tribe gets a section 115 miles wide for their nations to be able to enter. And I'm thinking 115 miles wide, how big must those cars be? And the, and the walls describe our intimacy and community because walls provide unity and protection. Verse 17, and he measured the wall thereof and 140 and four cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is, of the angel. So the angel is using human measurements and the walls are over two thirds the length of a football field in height. And it is a multi-storied city. So, so even at 216 feet high per story, so not 10 feet, not 12 feet per story, but two-thirds of a football field, 216 feet high. Within that space, there are 36,215 stories. Don't you want to see the buttons in that elevator? <laughs> and push every single one. Verse 18, And the building of the wall of it was of jasper, and the city was pure gold, like unto clear glass. And I don't know what to say except, Jeff Bezos, eat your heart out. I mean, eat your heart out, Bill Gates. 
Eat your heart out, Elon Musk. Verses 19 to 21 describe the building materials because foundations provide stability and permanence. Stones provide beauty and preciousness. The gates provide symmetry and access points. Oh, heaven has glory. And this is number four, because heaven has God personally. Verse 22, and I saw no temple therein for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. There was a temple in the Old Testament. There will be a temple in the tribulation. There will be a millennial temple that Ezekiel describes in chapter, chapters 40 to 48 of his book. But in eternity, God comes down to us himself. So no representation and no limitation is needed on his presence. Verse 23, and the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon to shine in it. For the glory of God did lighten it, and the lamb is the light thereof. And the only reason we have a son is because God created us. God made one, and he put us just exactly at the right spot, 93 million miles away, in order to sustain human life. Now you can say whatever you want about the earth not being the center of the universe. I think that kind of makes us the center of the universe to me. But, but we won't need the sun then. We won't need the sun then because everything stays lit. Everything stays lit. I mean, turn down for what? You have a glorified body. It never needs to sleep. And while we are in the eternal state, there will still be Israel and the Gentiles, verse 24. And the nations of them, the Gentiles of them, which are saved, shall walk in the light of it. And the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. So we have Gentile people functioning as nation states with rulers of their own. They are in bodies like Adam and Eve had before the fall. Verse 25, and the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there, and they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. I mean, it's like today, you know, the Muslims uh, make the Hajj, they go to Mecca. I mean, this is better, this is better than backing it up in the club. It's better than backing it up in the club because of this one verse, verse 27, and there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie. Now, you, those of you that back it up in the club, you know you wish that people who make up a lie did not come into the club and try and hit on you. I mean, they're stepping to you. I mean, those are these people you'd like to exclude and, and still have party up in the club. The only ones that make it into this club are they which are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Amen. I mean, just knowing that this is our eternal future makes me love Jesus. Makes me want to give him so much more. Makes me want to do so much more. And you know, we're not quite to the end of the book of Revelation yet. And I've saved the best chapter for last. But this is what it means to come to the end. Four things and we raise up out of here. Number one, encouragement. We all fall. But the gospel does not fail. There's always eternal life for any person who trusts Jesus for it right now. Second, anticipation, Matthew 24, verse 44. Jesus tells us, therefore be ye also ready. For in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. That's why we say the rapture is imminent, meaning it is an any moment event. 
So what this chapter means for us is anticipate. Third, third, number three, evangelize. Why are we not telling people about Jesus and pointing them to the gospel right now? I mean, join a harvest team this week. Get a group praying with you and encouraging you and giving you suggestions. So finally, finally, number four, examination. Examination. Go ahead and stand and bow your heads, please. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Examination. Let me ask you the question. Have you been born again? Your soul is too precious for you not to be absolutely certain, and you can know. You know why all those other religions are false? Because in those other religions, you can never know. You never know when you've done enough sacraments. You never know when you've taken the Mass often enough. You never know. You know, you never know. I mean, you can go to the Hodge and you can walk seven times around the, the uh, symbolic rock there in Mecca and throw stones at the devil and do whatever. And okay, you're clean until the next time you sin. And you can never know when you've done enough. Every cult group. If your background is Jehovah's Witness or Mormon or anything else, you never know when you've done enough because it's all up to you. Now that may be what they say. That is not what the Bible says. Your soul is too precious and lasts for too long for you not to know. So will you just pray with me? Oh, uh, pray after me right now. I mean, just pray with me right now. All you have to do is pray. Just say, oh God, thank you for loving me. I mean, your word tells me Jesus loved me and gave his life for me. Lord Jesus, I thank you for dying for me. Holy Spirit, I thank you for speaking to me today. And I put my hand of faith in your hand of grace right now, forgive me my sins for Jesus' sake. Save me, save me right now, because Jesus, I give you my life. And if you prayed like that and you ask him to save you, then also thank him for saving you. But also as as our praise team sings us out or after they get done, come here to the front. Let us know so we can rejoice with you. I want, I want to give you something that will help you grow in your faith and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Next Sunday, our Freedom Sunday, free picnic at Baumgartner Park across the way. One United Service, 10 a.m., Harvest Kids and, and Child Care as usual. You know, if you've accepted Christ and not yet gone all in by proclaiming your faith in baptism, then come forward and let us know. Do that today. If you want to be a member of our church by transferring your member membership from another church like faith or statement of faith on your part, well, then come forward. Let us know. This altar is open if you want to come forward and pray. So I'm going to ask the praise team to sing us out. Come to the front if we can help you today in any way.